Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And we'll continue with the the hymn of the month, I Know My Faith is Founded, 587. Your great mercy be 
continue with the uh, catechism memory work. What is the benefit of this eating and drinking? These words given and shed for you for this forgiveness of sins show us that in the sacrament, forgiveness of sins, life and salvation are given us through these words. For where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. And the Bible memory work, um, we'll do a phrase by phrase, repeat after me. Jesus said, said, whoever feeds on my flesh flesh and drinks my blood blood abides in me and I in him. John 5, 56. And then all together. Jesus said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. John 5, 56. And uh, for the record, I just realized that's John 6, 56. That's John 6, 56, not John 5, 56. I'm 98% positive. John 6, 56. All right, let's continue with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Luther's morning prayer. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day. Pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. Sorry for slipping into uh, Luther's evening prayer there. I uh, must just think that the day is over or something already. It's been a long day already. Um, not quite. All right, well, uh, kids can go off to Sunday school. Um, y'all want to consult and figure out what you're doing there? Um Sounds good. All right. Um, so for the hymn, uh, I don't I don't have a lot more to say about the hymn. I, I think the hymn is pretty pretty simple. Um, we covered kind of the content of it a couple weeks ago, and then we talked about um, Erdman Neuermeister last week. Uh, what I was going to mention just a little bit of, and it would be better if I had Re- Rebecca here to correct me on whatever I say, um, is... I, I just, uh, I think our last elders meeting, we were talking a little bit about, um, just casually, I don't know why we were talking about it, but about singing in church and singing in the congregation. And um, I, my, my point to people that I always make when it comes to congregational singing is that everyone can do it, right? I, I, think, I think people will tend to get in their minds that, well, I'm not a singer, right? I, I, I'm a singer, I'm not a singer, and put themselves in these categories, kind of like 
uh, I'm a night owl or I'm a morning person, right? And then that kind of defines reality for them. And I, my contention is that, and this is based on my own personal experience because I used to not be able to hold a tune. I don't have perfect pitch by any means. And uh, I mean, my, my family used to make fun of me for my lack of ability to sing growing up, right? I grew up in a family where you knew they loved you the more they made fun of you, so um, don't, don't take that the wrong way, right? Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the right kind of uh, love, so that's how I show my children I love them, too. Um, but I happened to end up in a career, uh, or called into a career, where I have to sing, and um, that forced me into, you know, learning a skill. And singing is a skill and that can be developed, right? So obviously some people are going to be more naturally talented and the more they develop that skill are going to have better voices uh, or more beautiful voices, if you will, than someone who's not as naturally talented but also develops a skill. But I think that singing as a skill if, if you think about it that way, everyone can reach a certain level of proficiency, right? Um, you can think of it like, like reading, right? You, you can teach basically anyone to read. Some people are going to read a lot faster. Some people are going to be speed readers. Not everyone is going to be a speed reader, but most people can develop a basic skill of reading. And uh, the same is true with singing. So the way – then the question is, okay, well – uh, so, so, first of all, singing is a skill that can be developed by, by basically anyone, I think. Uh, two, I think we can mostly agree or all agree that within congregational singing, right, uh, I mean, the Bible commands us to make a joyful noise to the Lord. The Bible commands us uh, to sing songs, spiritual songs, psalms, and, and, um, and hymns of praise. And uh, so... So it is best that more people sing. Uh, good, Rebecca's back, so she can uh, she can correct me on everything. I'm gonna tell them how to sing. So um, she she's laughing because I'm not an expert. Right? Uh, and Rebecca's logged more hours with voice lessons than probably all of us combined. So. Um, so, so we can all agree that, that it's better when more people sing, right? And it always sounds better, right? Whenever – if we got a hymn that everyone knows and everyone likes to sing, it always sounds better, right? So um, then the question is, okay, how do you develop this skill so that more and more people – and I know I'm talking to a small crowd here – but that more and more people in the congregation uh, sing more and more of, of hymns on Sunday morning? And the way that you develop any skill is how? Practice. 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 practice, right? Practice. And how do you practice? Sing. You actually just do it, right? <laughs> you sing. So, uh, what I always tell people is, whether you know the hymn or not, whether you feel confident or not, just just try, right? The the way I got better by singing primarily, um, other than learning a few like tips and tricks to help, you know, breathing and and uh, things like that, was that I went to a college and then to seminary where we had chapel every day. 
And so for basically seven years straight, more or less, you know, summer breaks and stuff, uh, I sang hymns. And that got me to a point where I could sing more confidently, even sing publicly uh, by myself. Um, so I'll, I'll leave it at that today. Um, next week, so, so I just want to say that, so that the everyone, and you can encourage the people around you, um, and the, the more confidently you sing, the people around you will feel more comfortable also trying to sing, trying to sing along with you, right? So um, I'll leave it at that today. There, there was a co- I have a couple things in mind as far as those kind of tips and tricks with breathing and how to hit high notes and stuff that I want to talk about probably next week. But yeah, Rose. When my oldest son was seven, he would get down in the pew like this and sit up and I go on singing and when it's finished you say mom you can't sing <laughs> <laughs> and I told him the Lord said make a joyful noise that's right that's and right that's what I was doing <laughs> that's right there you go everyone can make a joyful noise <laughs> um all right well I'll leave that at that today I, next week I want to talk about um just like a little bit of breathing and and uh, some some stuff like that. I'm not an expert by any means, but I just know a few tips and tricks that I've been told in the past that helped. So, all right. Um, oh, catechism. So in the catechism we have uh, the benefit of eating and drinking, uh, the sacrament of the altar, and um, Luther there connects. Uh, forgiveness of sins with with life and salvation and this, this is always kind of interesting to me that Luther in the catechism and in his theology really always focuses on the forgiveness of sins as the kind of main thing that's happening in any of these what we call means of grace right so if it's the preaching of the word if it's uh, baptism, if it's confession, absolution, if it's the Lord's Supper, he's always pointing out, look, there's the forgiveness of sins, right? There's the forgiveness of sins. There's the forgiveness of sins. And I, I think that's good because that is the main message of the Bible, right? That's the main message of Christianity is that our sins have been forgiven before God in heaven. That God made this world and he made it to be a certain way and due to the sin of man, that has that world and our own hearts have been corrupt. And that sin needs to be forgiven and Jesus and God sent his son Jesus Christ to come and forgive that sin and to bestow that gift on his people to restore fallen creation. That's the message of the scripture, uh, in, in, in short, in summary. And, you know, every, every church body, I feel, tends to have something that they focus on more than anything else, right? So uh, the, the Presbyterians will focus on God's sovereignty, Right or the Roman Catholics will focus on uh, the church's authority, 
or the Eastern Orthodox will focus on uh, theosis, uh, which is a fancy thing for them that you don't need to worry about. Um, and, <laughs> uh, you know, everyone has their kind of like thing that they get obsessed with. Well, the thing that Lutherans get obsessed with is the gospel, <laughs> the forgiveness of sins, right? And, you know, I always, I always think it would have been more helpful if, in this question if Luther would have uh, tried to distinguish the sacrament of the altar from baptism and confession absolution to some degree, like, because, because I think this can be a little confusing for people as well. Why do I need communion every week? Why do I need to remember my baptism? Why do I need to go to confession? Uh, why do I need to pray? Why do I need to hear the preaching of the word? You know, why do I need to do all of, all of those things regularly if they all have the forgiveness of sins, right? Aren't my sins already forgiven enough? And, you know, first of all, I would say, well, no, we're poor, miserable sinners and we sin every day and we actually need that much forgiveness, right? So... It's good to receive that much forgiveness as bountifully as possible from the Lord that we can. Um, second, I would say that there are actually different uh, purposes that God gives all these means of grace for. So baptism is, is what I always call the identity sacrament, right? Baptism is what gives you your Christian identity. Baptism uh, brings you into the family, right? It, it calls you a son of, or daughter of God. Um, absolution, uh, confession absolution is for the specific comfort of a specific sin that burdens someone's conscience, right? Where baptism doesn't really have that specificity to it, for instance. Uh, the preaching of the word is for the strengthening of, of faith, uh, for exhortation and rebuke and comfort, and uh, so on and so forth. The Lord's Supper... Um, where Luther doesn't really address this here is for being with Christ, um, for having a communion. I mean, that's why we call it communion because you have a communion with Christ, right? And and especially nowadays, everyone knows that being in person with someone, being physically in person with someone, is different than if you have a Zoom call with them, right? Or if you have a phone call with them, and uh, having kind of distanced fellowship is not true fellowship, right? And so God wants true fellowship with us, and so he sends us a physical way to be in communion with him, right? Not just a uh, kind of distant communication way, but an actual in-person, tangible way uh, where we are in communion with his body and his blood. And so... Uh, that's that's why I picked that memory verse for this uh, catechism work. So anyway, my, my point is that I like that Luther does this, that his main point is the forgiveness of sins because that is the main point of everything. Uh, but within that forgiveness of sins and life and salvation that he speaks of, I think it's also important for us to realize that communion, along with the other sacraments and means of grace, all have their own specific benefit for the Christian. And, and that specific benefit here um, in communion is that we get to abide in Christ and, and he in us. Uh, so 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. That's from John 6, uh, which is his bread of life discourse. So I, I mistyped that. But uh, yeah, that's that's definitely John 6. So, all right. Any questions on that? Does that make sense? All right. We are continuing then with uh, the story of Elijah. And uh, we left off uh, right before. So um, we did the uh, raising of the widow's son, Elijah and Zarephath. Excuse me. And um, the next story we want to look at with uh, Elijah continues right after that. That was 1 Kings 17. Now we're in uh, 1 Kings 18 when Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal. So um, I guess we haven't covered the story. So, so if you remember uh, earlier, Elijah had prayed for and prophesied to Ahab a drought, right, a famine. And uh, that had occurred. And all this time, there's there's been this drought. And remember James uh, chapter 5, where uh, James says that Elijah prayed fervently that it would not rain, and God answered his prayer and it did not. And then he prayed fervently that it would rain, and God answered his prayer and it did. Um, and so this is the where at the beginning of 1 Kings 18... Um, after a long time, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. It was during the third year. So this this uh, drought's been going on for three years. He said, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain to water the surface of the ground. Um, and, and the drought was severe. And uh, we already covered uh, part of this chapter when we did Ahab uh, and Jezebel. So this is the... This is the part here then where when Elijah's going to Ahab, he runs into Obadiah and uh, Obadiah uh, recounts to him how Ahab and and Jezebel have been persecuting uh, the prophets and um, Obadiah hides these prophets in the in the cave uh, in in two caves and, and provides uh, food and water for them when Jezebel is trying to kill the prophets. Um, anyhow, Elijah, so so he, he interacts with Elijah here, and, and we already covered that some, but um, Elijah is, and we, we've already kind of covered this, he's so faithful, right? As he's talking to Obadiah, what happens is he, um, he, He's been commanded to go to Ahab, and he's basically not going to let that get in his way. Obadiah doesn't really want uh, him to uh, go on to Ahab. You know, Obadiah is kind of like, let's just hang out in the caves and take care of ourselves. And uh, Elijah is set on going to Ahab and confronting him. Right? He's he's totally unafraid, and it, it's kind of amazing. Um, the the way that Elijah is so uh, fearless in this, right? When he knows he could be killed, persecuted, he could show up and Jezebel might just give the order to kill him right away, right? But uh, Elijah is... What, what's even more amazing is that when Elijah does confront Ahab, and this happens over and over again, is 
that Elijah will tell Ahab something and Ahab actually has to believe him, right? Because the word of the Lord has authority and he's not, uh, he doesn't come and, you know, the king's just like, oh yeah, 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 you're, you're God, like whatever, I don't believe in him. When Elijah says something, he believes it. Um, and it's, it is really kind of amazing the authority that Elijah speaks with. So, and he actually like does what, what he says and things like that. So, uh, that's kind of the setup. When Elijah gets to Ahab, this is verse 18, uh, he says, it is not I who have brought, it, it is not I who have brought trouble on Israel, but rather you and your father's house, because you have abandoned the Lord's commandments and followed the bells. Um, man, I just, I would love to see like some pastor go to Washington D.C. today and address Congress and say this, right? I mean, that's that's what's going on, right? He he's going to address the political. I mean, of course, this is the nation established by God by God Himself, so it's a little bit different religious political landscape. But um, basically, what's going on here is the prophet of God is going to the political king and calling him out for idolatry, right? So. Uh, you have abandoned the Lord's commandments and followed the bells. But now gather all Israel before me on Mount Carmel along with 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So 850 prophets who are, you know, Canaanite, mythological, child sacrificing, temple prostitution worshipers, right? And what does Ahab do? Well, he... Again, he, he just does what Elijah tells him to. <laughs> ah, again, we, we've covered this before, but Ahab is kind of a weak man. Uh, if, if Elijah tells him to do something, he's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And then if Jezebel tells him to do something, he's like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Um, just totally wishy-washy is the, the best word I have for it. Uh, so Ahab sent word to all, the prof- to all the people of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And um, there's, there's so many good lines in here of what, what happens. Um, we'll, we'll try and kind of cover it. I mean, I have other stuff to cover today. This is like one of my favorite stories in the Bible. But uh, we'll just kind of run, run through it. So Elijah gathers all these false prophets on the mountain. And uh, he's going to now challenge them to... A, a basically a prophetic duel <laughs> between the gods, between his Lord God and, and their gods, the, the Bells and the Asherah. Okay. Um, so well, I'm just going to work through the, the text here, I think. Um, so the first thing he says to all the people, how long will you stagger around on two crutches? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Bell is God, follow him. But the people did not answer him a single word. So I think the two crutches there are Bel and Asherah, right? Uh, the two the two gods that the fa- two false gods that they worship. Um, <laughs> how long are you going to stagger around on these two crutches, right? <laughs> that's, that's a good um, good one liner there. Then Elijah said to the people, um, "I am the only one left of the Lord's prophets, but the prophets of Bel total 450 men." Uh, so this is this, he, what he's going to do here, and we'll see this over and over again, is he's going to make himself the underdog in this fight, right? He's purposely 
going to make himself as humble and weak as possible and put himself in the worst possible situation to, to you know, kind of win this duel, so to speak, and uh, to show God's power. And that is, that is the nature of God. We're going to talk about this a little bit in the sermon today. Um, it's something that you can't avoid in the scriptures, is that the nature of God is to show his power and humility. Right? The first will be last and the last will be first. And the word of the cross is folly uh, to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to save. That the cross, a, a dying man on a tree, hung outside a trash pit outside the city of Jerusalem, that is the salvation of the world for the Christian. So this is the nature of God, is to show his power in weakness. His power is made perfect in my weakness, right? So, and th- this is how this is how Elijah is going to go about this. He's not. Um, he doesn't just pray that God would just send a thunder strike from heaven and strike down all the prophets of Baal. Uh, he could do that, but instead he's going to humble himself uh, to show to show the power of God at, at, at the end. Okay. So one one man versus 450 man. Uh, provide two bulls. Let them choose the bull that they want. Right, so he gives them uh, all the advantage, so to speak, and uh, put it, cut it up, and put it on the firewood, but don't light the fire. I'll prepare the other bowl and place it on my firewood, and I will not light the fire. Then you call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers with fire, He is God. So that's the challenge. We got two bowls, two altars with fire. Uh, with firewood set on them and we're going to put both our bowls on the on the altars and then we're both going to pray to our gods and whichever uh god answers with fire that's the true god and everyone said this proposal is good and that that's an interesting thing there too that they agree to this right and and this is something to realize about people's false gods whether they actually be um false gods like Baal and Asherah, or if they're the false gods of um, our more modern scientific age, like, uh, I mean, science itself can be a false god. Money is obviously a false god. Um, You know, people will put a lot of trust into certain things today. And, you know, that's Luther's definition. What what is a false god? What, What do you fear, love, and trust above God, right? So do you trust the stock market to provide... Uh, for you in your retirement more than you trust God to provide for you in your retirement? Do you trust... Hello. Um, uh, do, you, do you trust uh, modern medicine to keep you healthy more than you trust God to keep you healthy? Right. What, what are these false gods that we have today? We have a lot of them. Um, what was that? Oh, so... But of course, we know these things are fleeting, right? We know false gods are fleeting. And it's, uh, it's interesting um, that they say their, this proposal is good because what does that show? That shows they really believe in these gods, right? They really believe in the power of the gods. And um, I think that oftentimes... As, as Christians, from the Christian perspective, when we think of 
false gods, we almost think that there's no way people could really believe in them, right? So it's kind of like, oh, well, the people, we, we think of it like uh, it, for the Canaanites, for instance, that, well, the Canaanites, they had false gods, but no one really like believed in that. That was kind of just mythology, right? That was kind of just culture. That's just kind of what they did. That's kind of how we conceptualize it, I think, because we live in such a modern scientific age. But the truth of the matter is they really did uh, believe, I guess, uh, they really did believe in their false gods. And uh, when we take that uh, today, we should realize, just have a seat anywhere, um, we should realize that people really do fear, love, and trust in their false gods above the true God. And sometimes if you can just say it out loud of like what, what it is that uh, people's false gods are and what they really believe in and what they really trust in, you can see how kind of crazy it sounds. Because it sounds crazy in this situation, right? When the, when the um, Canaanites uh, say, yeah, we really think that Baal is going to send down fire from above and, and light this bull on fire, from our perspective, it's like, can they really believe that? Is that, is that really true? Um, but then you think about people's gods today. Um, think, think, for instance, of the god of comfort, right? Pe- I mean, people want comfortable lives. They want lives that, I mean, the god today, uh, maybe more than any other god, is that people do not want to suffer. So whatever it takes to not suffer, you know, whatever medicine I have to take, whatever, um, you know, whatever substances I have to put in my body, uh, whatever, how much, how long do I have to zone out in front of the TV watching Netflix uh, before uh, I can just like forget about all the annoyances of the world. Um, When you kind of say that out loud, that people will do anything to avoid a little bit of pain and suffering. You're like, can people really do that? Can people really live that way? That, you know, do they really believe that they're going to be able to avoid suffering forever? Do they really believe that they're going to never have any pain? And the truth is, yeah, <laughs> they re- people really do uh, believe in these things. And um, or especially if you get to some of the, the other gods today, um, especially kind of the the gods of like uh, that people have in terms of uh, sexual deviance. So the the whole LGBTQ and the transgender stuff. You know, you look at that people like that, and you say, do they really believe that they're a woman, right? Do they really believe that somehow? they were born into the wrong body like that i mean that that it's insanity when you actually take an objective perspective to it right but they really believe it they really think that this is um now not i th- i don't think everyone necessarily does um i think a lot of the the people who are let's just say in charge you know pushing these narratives uh they probably know that they're taking people for you know a ride on on whatever to get to get whatever they want out of it. But I think a lot of people really do believe in these false gods. 
they really are taken away that uh, this is this is truth. Uh, anyhow, okay. So the pro- all the people said the proposal is good, right? They actually think Bell's going to do this, and um, so Elijah allows them to choose the bull for themselves, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, that's repeated. Um, so they took the bull and prepared it, and they called on Bell from morning until noon. So let's just say four hours, six hours, something like that. Uh, they, they called on Bell. Bell, answer us. But there was not a sound. No one answered. Uh, so they staggered around the altar which they had made. Um, and this is, uh, Elijah is a very, I, I mean, I love Elijah because he's so snarky. <laughs> he, um, you know, when he, he's like, he's talking about Bell and Asher and he, he goes, Hey, how long are you going to walk around on these two crutches you got here for gods? And then um, what what the staggering is referring to is not that they um, you know got like tired. This is their uh, dancing. This is this is their liturgical dancing before the altar of Bel. Um, this is actually is documented that Canaanite worship involved uh, a certain kind of dancing. I mean, we don't know exactly what it looked like, um, but it's recorded that they did you know, uh, some kind of dancing to uh, try and earn the favor of the gods. And um, so, but, but when Elijah records this, what, it, what does he say? Yeah, they were staggering around um, uh, the altar. So it's an, it's an insult, right? It's a, he's being snarky there. Uh, when noon came, Elijah mocked them, shout louder. <laughs> he's a god, isn't he? Maybe he's deep in thought or busy on a journey. Uh, perhaps he's asleep and will wake up. Uh, so he's, he's just openly mocking uh, their false gods. And th- this is also an important point, is that um, I, don't, I don't recommend that you go and start you know, mocking unbelievers willy-nilly. But some things are not worth taking serious. I think I think this is something that in like Christian apologetics, uh, we've kind of failed at in the last 50 years or so. That we've wanted to take every everybody too seriously because we're too nice. Um, some some things are not worth always taking that seriously. And when, when people say insane things like that their false god is going to send fire down and light this fire, or um, that I'm a a girl trapped in a boy's body, right? The the proper response is not to be like, oh, well, let's let's talk about that, and um, I want to hear your side of the story, and, uh, you know, let's, let's examine all the evidence here and see what it is. Because by doing that, and, and I, I know this sounds kind of you know, rude of me, but, but by being too nice about something so obviously false, what you're doing is you're granting credence to the falsehood. So this is, uh, at some point I want to do apologetics with the Lutheranism 101 class, but um, very shortly, this is what we call presuppositional apologetics, versus evidential apologetics. So there's, there's two schools of thought with apologetics. 
one is evidential where basically we're going to gather all the evidence, we're going to examine it, and um, we're going to show that Christianity is a reasonable uh, religion. And that has its place. Presuppositional apologetics takes a little bit different approach that says, um, basically, and this sounds kind of odd at first, but when we cover it in Lutheranism 101 later, it'll make sense. Uh, that basically says, no, we don't, we're not going to take an objective stance to it because we can't be objective. Because we know that God made the world and everything in it. And so we are going to presuppose that Christianity is true and then, ex- and then show how that is a cohesive system that works together. And how uh, then, from that perspective, how other... Uh, Ideas outside of Christianity are absurd or false, right? So um, this is uh, Elijah is engaging here in, in presuppositional apologetics when uh, when he se- he simply shows the absurdity of what they're doing, right? By making fun of Bell, <laughs> he just says uh, maybe he's sleeping. Why don't you shout louder, <laughs> and he'll wake up. Um, Right, it's, he's just showing, showing the absurdity of it all. Uh, so th- I, th- I think that that is important to note that it's and and that that's the main argument again for presuppositional apologetics and kind of this idea that I'm p- putting forward is that if if he were to say, well, let's let's take a step back and see what may you know what might be going on here. I really want to I really want to have a fair test between our gods um, or something like that. There's no point in granting credence to a false god, right? That why why would we grant credence to something we know is completely false? So, um, but there's no response, right? So, uh, and they even start to act, you know, just just realize the insanity of what they're doing here. Um, that they cut themselves with daggers and spears until their blood flowed. Uh, afternoon, they kept up a prophetic frenzy until the time of the evening sacrifice, and there was no sound, no one answered, there was no response. Um, I really can't help but think of the transgender thing here, that uh, when it talks about people cutting themselves, uh, and what, what people do nowadays to their bodies in the name of this God that they've made for themselves. So, uh, very, very interesting. Okay, uh, Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. So they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come and been proclaimed. Uh, Your name shall be Israel. He built the stones into an altar in the name of the Lord. Uh, So notice here, uh, Elijah's reverence, right, with all of this, um, that he is uh, doing this thoughtfully, Right, uh, where the the bell prophets were kind of like all over the place and insane. Right, they tried dancing, they tried shouting, they were doing all this thing. Elijah's very slow and methodical. Takes the 12, 12 stones for twelve tribes, makes a proper altar, uh, digs a big trench around it, arranges the wood, cuts up the bull, places it on the wood, and then, again, putting himself at a major disadvantage here, uh, which again. God's nature is to show his power and humility. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, 
but uh, power of God to save uh, for those who believe. Um, and he fills, he says uh, to, to his assistants here, probably, I, I'm, I'm guessing you probably have the other prophets here, like Obadiah um, and the school of the prophets. Uh, so he says to them, uh, fill your j- four jars with water and pour it on the sacrifice of the wood and do it again. And they did, they did it again. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And water flowed all over the, the sacrifice and, and filled the trench. Okay? So now the altar is covered in water. Um, and, and now he's going to pray for it to be lit on fire, which, of course, if you've ever tried to, if you've ever been camping and it's rained the night before and then you try and go light a fire, it's not, doesn't work well. Right, uh, it's 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 a pain to try and get wet wet wood to light. Okay, when the ev- time of the evening sacrifice had arrived, Elijah the prophet stood up and said, "O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done these things by your word. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that this people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that their hearts may be turned back to you." Okay, um, this is, I think, I think an important point to make is that pay very careful attention to the words that Elijah prays. So what I'm not going to tell you to do at the end of the day today is go out and go challenge unbelievers uh, to some sort of test uh, that you can call down fire from heaven, right, and that they can't. Um, I would not do that because the Bible very clearly says you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, right? And it can seem here like Elijah is putting God to the test. Um, now, first of all, I think that in the context that God probably told him to do this, right? So, uh, first of all, you have a direct prophetic revelation that God should, or that, that Elijah should uh, challenge the prophets of Baal in this way, right? In the same way that God gives Moses uh, these challenges uh, to Pharaoh uh, to do, right? And for a little bit, the magicians are able to perform them, but then they can't, uh, so on and so forth. Anyway, um, so when you have a direct prophetic revelation, it's it's allowed to test God because God is asking for the test. Okay, so that's the first thing. Second thing is he's not actually testing God. So look at what he says. He says, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things by your word. So again, there you you have that hint that God told him to do this. Answer me, Lord. Answer me that this people will know you, that you are the Lord God, and that their hearts would turn back to you. He did not pray for fire. He never prayed for fire. He prayed that the Lord would answer his prayer. He prayed that, and, that, and then what was, what was his prayer? His prayer was that, that people's hearts would turn back to him and that they would know that he is a true prophet and that uh, it would be made known that he is the true God in Israel. Right? That's what he prayed for. God could do that however he wanted. He didn't have to send fire. Now, of course, that's the challenge. That's the context. That's what would make sense. And I'm sure Elijah is sitting there hoping that that's what's going to happen. 
right? If I was Elijah, I'd be, you know, kind of hoping it would happen. But his prayer does not pray for fire. So it's very interesting um, that what he prays for is God's will to be done, right? And, and this is how we always fine-tune our prayers, if you will, is that, yes, of course, there are certain things we would like to happen in a certain way at times, but God is God and we're not. And he's going to answer our prayer however he deems to answer it correctly. Okay? And Elijah, and that's why we always pray God's will be done. Right? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, uh, Elijah prays this prayer. And then, of course, you know the ending of the story. Fire from the Lord fell on the sacrifice on the wood and the stones and the dirt. It even licked up the water in the trench. And when the people saw this, they fell on their knees and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And uh, this is my favorite part, part. Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let a single one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the Kishon River and slaughtered them there. Uh, and, yeah, in, you all know that the reason I teach Bible study is like the blood and guts. The blood and guts. <laughs> I, you know, and you know, I, I don't know why Hollywood has made all the action movies it has, but it should have read the Bible because there's a lot better stuff there. Um, but this is vindication, right? Uh, I, you know, I, I think sometimes people get a little upset by the blood and guts in the Bible because, oh, again, and it's kind of that, what we were talking about with apologetics earlier, Christians have become way too nice. Um, what's going to happen on the last day when Jesus comes back? What's going to happen to unbelievers? They're, they're going to be thrown into the, the, the pit of hell, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that is God's righteous judgment on those who have rejected the God who made the universe. And so, uh, these, these prophets who are false teachers, who have outrightly rejected uh, the God that they knew was the true God, right? I mean, these people are in Israel. They've turned from the Lord God and turned towards these false gods, uh, the gods that they, that they think... Um, will give them comfort and uh, even have turned to you know, mutilating their bodies and all sorts of false practices. I mean, these were the prophets that were sacrificing children on the altars of Baal. Okay? They should be slaughtered. And uh, Elijah does a righteous thing according to God's word when he does that. So um, he goes and, and does that, and uh, that's a good thing. Um, oh, and then... Uh, then we get uh, verse uh, 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for I hear the sound of a heavy rainstorm. So the rain came. Right. That brings us back to the beginning of, of the chapter. That uh, the, whole, the whole point of all of this was that all Elijah wanted to do was let the famine hit. Right? <laughs> he was just saying, he, he was given by the Lord to go proclaim to the, the country that uh, the drought was over, but he arrived after being at the widow of Zarephath's house and Obadiah and all, his, and all the prophets were being slaughtered by Jezebel because of these, these crazy Baal prophets. And so he has to take care of this problem. So uh, that, that's what happens. He does uh, with this, this challenge. And, um, but God, God never neglects to fulfill his promises and he sends rain, right? Uh, there's a heavy rainstorm and um, the Lord provides for the people of Israel. All right. Um, and, and I'm actually going to do this, too. What, what time is it? 
Okay. Um, so just really quickly, uh, it, it so happens that our Old Testament reading for today is from the next chapter. So just to give you the context of that, uh, since we're already here, um, Jezebel, uh, Ahab tells Jeze- Jezebel everything that Elijah de- did. And of course, Jezebel, uh, who's, you know, this wicked Baal worshiper, uh, gets very angry and she starts to chase him down uh, to take his life. And that's the context of our Old Testament reading for today when Elijah is in a cave hiding um, and, and praying to the Lord. And um, that, that context is not in the reading, but now you know uh, the background is that he just did this thing and slaughtered all the bell priests and now Jezebel's chasing after him. And, um, and that's the context. So anyway, I just wanted to leave you with that. So you got a little bonus for the reading today. Um, any final questions or comments? We'll get to uh, 2 Kings 2 next week, which is uh, all about the transition from Elijah to Elisha as the prophet of Israel. So, All right. Let's end in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for all your good and wonderful gifts to us. Uh, we pray that you would keep us faithful even in this age where there are many false gods. We pray that the hearts of the people uh, in this place in this country would uh, turn again to you that they may know that you are the true God, uh, the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of all things. We pray that you would bless our worship to get today together. Let it be in spirit and truth. Let people's hearts and minds uh, be softened and opened to the preaching of your word that they may be strengthened in true faith. And we pray that all who receive your body and blood this morning would receive it worthily Uh, for the benefit of their body and soul to everlasting life. We pray all of this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.